hard to believe that you can make good money doing what you love while making the world a better place? I feel you. My name is Eden and I'm a holistic business coach who spent years in nonprofits believing things like money is the root of all evil and trying to spiritually bypass capitalism before my desire for comfort, freedom, and stability outweighed my attachment to my limiting beliefs. See, after years of helping myself and many, many clients create profitable, regenerative feeling businesses that honor our spiritual and material needs, I launched New Money Social Club to give the very best coaching, community, and strategy for aligned abundant growth to believe it we've got to see it so this podcast centers the stories of diverse entrepreneurs who are daring to live work and create on their own terms in the spirit of a mutually flourishing equitable new economy Welcome, everybody. Um, I am just so honored to hold this space with y'all today alongside one of my teachers, Chantel Chapman. Um, so super quick story. Back in 2019, I was working with a DEI firm that was in need of a rebrand. And in doing a deep internet search of like the most amazing aligned designers out there, shout out to Pop Brand, um, I found a link to a site called Trauma of Money. And it stopped me in my tracks. I clicked on it. I got to a really sweet, futuristic looking landing page. And basically right there on the spot, I clicked buy. I've never done that before. And I haven't done it since, which speaks to the power of a beautifully designed landing page, by the way. Um, and one that basically kind of broke a lot of the rules when it comes to sales and marketing and instead um, really just led with vision, heart and trust in its resonance with the right people like me. Um, and so I've been at the time I had been fascinated with new and equitable conversations around money for a while. But at the time, it also felt pretty impossible to find other folks who are doing this work in a way that I could like fully get behind. Um, maybe some of you feel this a lot of the folks that uh, I encountered, they kind of had like the money part down, but it was from like a spiritual manifestation lens. And there were off they were often missing or bypassing the equity piece the acknowledgement of the real systemic issues like racism and colonialism that have also affected our realities with money. Um, and so when I looked at trauma of money's teachers, uh, the curriculum, the indigenous rights and land acknowledgement centering, the spot on copy and super fun branding, I knew I stumbled upon something burgeoning and really special. And needless to say, some of what I learned in Trauma of Money became foundational to what I teach here in New Money Social Club. Um, and beyond that, at some point in my journey, I still found myself stuck in the same patterns of overwork and undercharging that I could just not seem to break out of no matter how much work I did on myself. I made a ton of progress over the years, for sure, but there was something keeping me from believing that an easeful, spacious, and abundant-feeling lifestyle was actually possible for me and, like, ethically okay <laughs> for me to enjoy, especially when it was such a far cry from the reality of a lot of my loved ones and community. I look at Chantel as someone who had multiple awesome creative projects that were all equity driven, conscious and still seemingly able to feed her monetarily. Um, so I booked a coaching call with her. I asked her what her days looked like, which at the time um, sounded like a lot of nourishment, creative work, nature and ease. And it sounded dreamy and it gave me permission in a way that for whatever reason, nothing else really could. Seeing examples of people who are walking aligned, equitable, and financially sustainable paths can ultimately help us embody that for ourselves in a way that sometimes all the other teachings can't. We're human. We're social creatures. We thrive on stories and we thrive on one another's possibilities and permission giving, which, by the way, is a function of uh, this space, New Money Social Club, right? So... Um, for all these reasons and for all the wisdom that you're going to hear today, I am so honored to introduce you to our neighbor from the north, Chantel Chapman. Um, Chantel is a CEO and co-founder of Tra Trauma of Money, which is an accredited course certifying professionals in the trauma-aware and trauma-informed approaches to finance. Drawing influence on um, 14 years as a mortgage broker, 
10 years as a financial literacy consultant, and extensive research in addiction, behavioral science, trauma, community economic development, and mindfulness. Chantelle is renowned for her cutting-edge, relatable, and trauma-informed money guidance. She's taught and written personal and entrepreneurial finance curriculums for universities and fellowships and was the lead player in building Canada's first-ever digital mortgage experience with free credit score and a consult on, and she's also a consult on several other innovative projects for one of Canada's largest fintech brands. Chantel is a settler of European descent who works and resides in the stolen traditional lands of the Kwantlun, Musqueam, and Sawasan peoples. And I am so excited to share this space with all y'all today. So to start, um, Chantel, I invite you to welcome and ground yourself in whatever way feels right for you. And um, I would also love to hear a bit about your money story or a story that you grew up with about money that you'd like to share. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here, Eden. I loved hearing that story about your journey with trauma of money. It's really incredible. Um, so as Eden mentioned, my name is Chantal. My pronouns are she, her, and I live and work on the traditional stolen territory of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, and Swassens people, which is known as Richmond, uh, just outside of Vancouver in uh, what's known as Canada. Um. I guess one way to get us maybe grounded in this space is I was just reflecting on how I was feeling as I was getting ready to come here. And the meeting I had before this, I, I was, um, I'm part of a, a task force um, and the task force is for economic justice and it's working with um, banks and financial institutions to come up with more support for survivors of financial abuse and, and, um, essentially anyone who has experienced domestic abuse most likely is experiencing financial abuse. So it's financial abuse, domestic abuse survivors. And that space, we are called like a committee. It is a committee meeting. And I noticed the energy when I was like getting ready for the committee meeting versus your space, which is like a club. And a club is like social and feels like connection. The committee feels like official and it's such a different energy. Even just like me getting ready, I felt more at ease. I felt more comfortable. And this is one of the tools that we teach in trauma of money is our nervous system has a state that we call ventrovagal and the nickname of this state is safe and social. And when we feel social and we feel connected, it's essentially the opposite of feeling shame, which is like isolating. And so one of the ways that we always start our trauma of money spaces is we go into gallery mode on our Zoom, if that's accessible to you. And we just take a moment to connect with each other in this space. And so if you feel comfortable, I invite you to turn on your camera. That would be so amazing for Eden and, and I. Um, so we don't feel like we're just speaking. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. And if you want to wave and if you want to keep your camera off too, that's totally okay. We can just acknowledge you by reading your names to ourselves. So let's just take a moment in this safe and social um, connection space. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. Oh, it's a great hat you have, Ashanti. I agree. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Ah, it's already feeling more like a club. I love that aspect. <laughs> it's really important around money to um, have social connection spaces because uh, traditional financial spaces and traditional financial education can really create quite a bit of shame, actually. They're meant to empower, but they can create isolation through like this or that thinking. You do this, you're good. You do that, you're bad. And so these types of spaces where we can come to together and be like, money sucks. This is what I did. It sucked. <laughs> and just talk about it with each other. So healing and so important. So thank you for being here today. Um, so my money story, well, maybe I'll tell you, um, how I got into this work, uh, cause it's essentially my money story. And I think it helps orient me in this space, especially as a white woman, a settler, 
Um, I started my career as a mortgage broker at 21 years old. And that was really challenging. And the reason why it was so challenging is because I was really young. And at the time, it was very, it was a very male dominated space. And people would look at me and be like, are you, do you even live outside of your family home? Like, are you even old enough to do a mortgage? (laughs) So I would get like no clients except for the people that were declined. And they're like, might as well use her. And I didn't have the language for this at the time, but I was uh, very codependent. My trauma response is very much like people pleasing and fawning. And so when people would come to me for a mortgage, I could not tell them that they were declined. I couldn't give them that, like, no. So what I ended up doing is saying, not yet, but here's all the things that we can do to get you in that position. Maybe it's two years down the road. And that really led me into working with people around their financial literacy. So I was helping people with credit their credit scores, you know, even like looking at like, oh, maybe you shouldn't file your taxes that way. Maybe you should be looking at this or even like creating new revenue ideas for them. And um, as I was doing this, I felt super pissed off. Like, why don't people know this stuff? And I mean, I was so pissed off because I was talking about myself too. You know, like here I am a mortgage broker. I had quite a bit of credit card debt. Um, I was filing my taxes late. I was overspending and my relationship with money was just not good. And so I believe that if we had only learned financial literacy in high school, you know, none of us would be suffering. That was my belief at the time. And so I started a financial literacy business and I started teaching that for many years. And as I was teaching this, you know, I was doing well. I, I, I got asked to consult with some financial institutions and I was doing well, like making decent money. But my behaviors around money didn't change. The more money I made, the more money I just spent, the more credit card debt I had. And I also noticed some pretty significant um, behaviors of like undercharging and under earning. So even though for me, I was making a lot of money in the role that I was in, I was probably under earning significantly compared to what my colleagues were um, getting paid. And it was through an experience that I had someone in my family called me and he was um, on, um, he called me and he was at a, uh, detox center on the downtown east side in Vancouver. And some of you may be aware the downtown east east side in Vancouver is a highly um, populated condensed space where folks are experiencing mental health challenges and substance use and a lot of houselessness. And this person was like, I'm here I've lost everything and I'm addicted to heroin and fentanyl. And he had just gotten kicked out of that detox center. And and he's like, I need your help. So I rushed down there, picked him up. And I'm like, I'm going to help you. Let's find you recovery. And the only um, recovery we could find him at the time was a, a halfway house that was transitioning men out of incarceration who had substance use. And so I was there every single day. Um, making them food, meditating with them, just being very supportive and really making his recovery my responsibility. And um, I had asked him like, why, like, why did you use, like what led to this? And he's like, you know, I have always, since I remembered, had this voice in my head that like, I was not good enough. I was inadequate. And it was just like this constant anxiety. And it's like every decision I made came from this place of not being good enough. And so when I started using these substances, it turned off and and it became very addictive. And I related with him so much about these voices. And we grew up in the same household. And I started looking at like, what are the sources of these voices? Like why would we feel so worthless in our own bodies and our own experiences? And I asked myself, like, what am I using to turn off these voices? And I realized it was the people pleasing. It was the codependency, but it was manifesting into how I interact with my money. So the under earning 
as a way to people please, essentially. I don't want to ask for more. I don't want to, you know, make you uncomfortable with this conversation. The workaholism, I will do it all for you, but don't worry, you don't have to pay me very much. Um, all my overspending was all linked to external validation. So when I would buy something, it was less about, do I like this? It was like, will they like it? And I'd rack up credit card debt doing that. And because I was like, people pleasing is so exhausting. What ends up happening is your personal stuff like falls to the wayside. So doing my budgeting, doing my taxes, opening bills, I was too tired for that. And because I was taking care of myself last, those weren't, those things weren't a priority. And so I, I went on this very curious journey of trying to understand like, where did this start? Where did these narratives start? And I, I started looking at my past. I grew up in poverty with a single mother. Um, we lived in social housing and there was addiction, there was crime, there was abuse. And I'm a survivor of um, abuse, sexual abuse. And I had realized that because of these experiences that happened where I was unsafe in my childhood and with hearing about my mom's money stresses all the time, my, my little brain made this correlation. Mom's really stressed about money and these bad things are happening to you. If you had money, bad things wouldn't happen to you. So that was like guiding so much of the path that I went down. But at the same time, there was this very strong um, feelings of unworthiness. So these two like conflicting feelings, like I need money and then I'm not worthy of money. And then in the background, like I heard a lot of narratives around rich people are greedy and, and all of these things led to these sabotaging behaviors. And my curiosity didn't stop there. I was like, well, why, like, why did these things happen? And I started kind of looking at, um, collective sources of trauma, like looking at poverty, looking at systems, you know, exploring things like the wealth gap. And then of course, when you go on that journey, you start to learn about colonization and the racial wealth gap. And, and on that journey, I really, identified, wow, all of these layers are impacting the relationship with money. And because I was studying financial psychology at the time, I was noticing that that whole space wasn't talking about these collective layers of trauma. They were just focused on like the individual, like there's a problem within you, let's fix that problem within you. And so it's like, okay, there are some major gaps here. One, therapists are not being trained in money and money is one of the biggest stressors out there. Two, financial professionals can potentially do harm because they're not trauma sensitive. And three, the like psychology model is not really identifying collective trauma. Like it's not looking at systems. It's not zooming out. And so there was like all these amazing areas of research, but they were so siloed. And so I just felt this very strong call to bring this together. And since I'm a white woman and I've never experienced racism and there's so many of the these layers that we teach about in trauma money I've been experienced, it made most sense that we build out an incredible faculty that to teach at all these different layers. Because the thing is, is we are all connected and our liberation is all tied to each other. And it's important that all of us get to hear all of these different experiences around money to get on that path of healing. And so we had developed this model in trauma of money of like what impacts the relationship with money. And it was these six layers. So it was generational trauma and scarcity. And we always say trauma and scarcity together because we found through the psychology of scarcity research that scarcity impacts the brain in a similar way to trauma. When a brain is in scarcity, there's potentially a reaction that is like a trauma response. And so we've got generational scarcity. Actually, I have an image. I'll just show you this. Generational scarcity, relational scarcity and trauma, societal scarcity and trauma, systemic scarcity and trauma, 
laws of nature and biomimicry. So this is introducing like, hey, maybe there's other worldviews around money that aren't rooted in scarcity, such as nature has lots of examples of these, like reciprocity. And then the last layer we believe impacts the relationship with money is financial literacy. And financial literacy is always last because if these areas are present, it's very hard to engage with financial literacy. So that was my money story is like there was trauma. It was guiding all of the choices I made around money. I first went down the path of like, let's just focus on myself, the traditional trauma healing psychology, but it did not take into consideration. Well, okay. Yeah. You know, maybe I can work on my worthiness, but like how, like Eden said, like, how can I earn this money when someone is suffering over here? And then that leads to this rejection. So the work is like orienting ourselves in this bigger narrative and working on healing our relationship with money for the purpose of working towards system change for everybody. And that was a long story. Oh, but so good. Mic drop. We could just end right there. It was so good. <laughs> um, I want to just really honor Chantel, um, the sh- stories that you shared and your vulnerability in sharing those stories. Obviously, I'm sure that's not the first time that you, this is what you do, but it speaks to the level of like work that you have done on your, you know, on these topics and on your nervous system, right. To be able to, um, because, you know, story sharing around here is just like the most important thing. So thank you for that. And I, I love, I love how you ended with this, um, because this is very much so, um, you know, what powers me to do, to, to want to hold this space and really like guides my business is, um, I wasn't finding enough, enough gas really for the tank to like, just do it for my own personal reasons. And I know that anybody who's in this space likely is, you know, oriented in a similar way. And, um, and so to kind of align behind a larger mission is like, oh, it just soothes all of the things. And it's, and it's this collective energy that's just so beautiful. So thank you for that beautiful response. Um, I wanted to just ask you to, if you're, if you're willing to dig in a little bit further around some of the research and study that you've done around, um, like consumerism culture and the kind of role, like one thing that I remember you saying in the course, which totally stuck and made sense. I don't know if it was a you original or whatever, but it was kind of like the idea that consumerism is the uh, child of capitalism and capitalism is the child of colonialism and kind of like all these systems are related and connected. And, um, you know, I think just you, yeah, I feel like you have a really amazing, uh, take or just a really important take on like the damage that the kind of this consumerist culture has really like done on this or the, or the, um, maybe how consumerism, we utilize that to kind of fill in the gaps of where we're hurt. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if colonialism is the child of capitalism or capitalism is a child of colonialism. And I, I wonder that often because like when we talk about capitalism, capitalism is a system where it's profit over everything. And sometimes when we bring up capitalism, folks get a little bit like, ooh, because there's been a lot of propaganda around capitalism is freedom. Free market trade is freedom. And the alternative to that hasn't worked. We've seen it in other countries, like with communism, it hasn't worked. And um, and so I always give this little disclaimer when we talk about capitalism and we actually came up with a new word to describe it. We call it capitalism, where it's like this is the capitalism is the source of gaps, the racial wealth gap, the wealth gap, the gap that it leaves us within our soul that makes us feel so empty. And where consumerism is tied to this is consumerism's like we'll fill this gap, but it never can. It never can. And so when we talk about capitalism, we're not talking about entrepreneurship being bad. We're not talking about you thriving with money being bad. That is not bad. Even if you're a millionaire, we are cheering you on. We don't like billionaires because that's just not necessary. But like you all deserve to have millions of dollars and thrive. 
And it's just a matter of like, what do you do with that money? And what we do in Trauma of Money is we work on building a relationship where we can go out there and say with so much pride, I can be trusted with money. And the way that we think you can be trusted with money is you don't participate in some of the features of capitalism that are based on extraction and exploitation, extraction and exploitation of land and people. Because when profit is your number one over everything, the only way to continue to sustain and and grow that is to cut expenses. And what do they do when they cut expenses? They pay, they exploit people. They extract from the land. And we actually do believe that there's a way that you can run business. There's a way that you can be in trade where you're not doing that. And people are paid well and people are thriving and not extracted from and exploited from. And, you know, colonialism is one of the methods that supported capitalism because colonialism and taking over and extracting just creates more profit for some um, at the expense of others. And so freedom is actually just not even possible under capitalism. And that's the irony of it is like with a system that makes profit number one and growth and not regeneration or sustainability, how is it that you can be free? Like only some people can be free. And um, this is something that I think we really need a lot of people to um, come into a, I guess, a narrative of like trusting themselves with money under this system so we can have more people creating change. You know, I want to see more people who have this like distrust of capitalism have more money that's where we'll see change Mm, I love that so kind of moving in that direction um I'd love to just kind of peek behind the curtain a bit and talk about your journey as an entrepreneur, right? Um, so you sounds like you've had some experience decade or more in like tr- a traditional jobby job. And at some point you've kind of made this pivot towards working for yourself. Can you um, walk us back a little bit to like what that transition was like for you? Um, yeah. Actually, you know what? Um, I've never not worked for myself. Um, so. I think the last time I had an official job was when I was a waitress um, in my early 20s. Um, so even when I was consulting for like fintech organizations and working in the corporate world, I never went on as an employee. I always remained a consultant and a contractor. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with my trauma is, you know wanting to have this kind of distance. Um, But I guess I can talk a little bit about like just moving out of the, because like I was very, very much immersed in the corporate world and like moving into fully just running my own business and creating a lot of boundaries because we have a lot of corporate clients, but we definitely work with them on our own with our own boundaries and like we work with them based on our values. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the transition actually came out of desperation. Um, I was experiencing burnout. I, there was so much toxicity in one of the environments that I was working in that I essentially like went into a deep depression and burnout and I just, I couldn't physically be there anymore. Um, And so I went on about a year. I lived on it for a year. I lived on um, some like options that I got out of working for the company and I had no income. And this was like right before I started trauma of money. And so I started trauma of money on a credit card, which most people will be like, that is not advisable. (laughs) I did what I needed to do in the moment. And it was really like desperation that pushed me into that, um, 
this kind of new space that we've been in for like the last four years. And sometimes um, desperation is a really good thing. And it's, it's what kind of can motivate you to make a change. And, and it's, it's sucks. That's, that's kind of the place that we have to get to, to make a change. Um, but it also can be the result of like a super bloom, you know, like I was just looking at my, I have like a little veggie garden and it was like, I was away for a couple of days and it was really dry and wasn't looking very good. And then I like poured a bunch of water on it. And then I looked this morning and there was like a super bloom that happened so that we can go through that too, like drought. Then when it rains, it pours, everything's going wrong. And then all of a sudden there's a super bloom. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, so, um, it's, it reminded me of this, this book that I'm reading called regenerative business, which I do recommend. It's, you know, just aligning just your businesses with nature. It's like, I think a lot of us are kind of maybe doing that in isolation in these silos. And so it's just nice to be invited to, um, you know, confidently build your business, like in alignment with nature cycles. Right. Um, so in turn, speaking of cycles, uh, and, you know, I told the story at the top of this, um, this event around how I was kind of struggling with like chronic overwork and undercharging. And like, I was like, I just need like some FaceTime with you, Chantel, because I feel like you figured some things out. Um, and just how powerful that was for me. So I'm curious, like, as you, as somebody who mentioned that you previously identified as a kind of overworker, undercharger, people pleaser, and how that spilled into, um, your work. How has this journey been for you? How have you been, what have been some helpful kind of tools that you've picked up along the way to like maybe have more boundaries or um, yeah, be able to like give yourself permission to live abundantly and thrive? Yeah, so this is something that like, I always, I always kind of, I'm not gonna say struggle with, but it's something that's always present with me is like, I could very easily fall into like the workaholism. Um, And I also get so much joy from the work that I do. And it's definitely a source of dopamine. So um, like sometimes I'll just like choose to work all day and, and feel really good about that. And so I think one of the things that I've really realized on this journey is acceptance is my biggest tool. And accepting that sometimes my work does go in cycles where like I have endometriosis and I had a flare up this week, so I couldn't work. Um, Today's my first day working in like three days, essentially. And I've got a lot of stuff I need to get done and emails. And I would feel really bad about that. And I'm like, no, this is just the cycle right now. Like I just have to rest. And I'm so lucky that I have the privilege that I'm able to do that in my role. Um, But things definitely do pile up, but it's the acceptance piece. And I also have acceptance that some days I will work 12, 14 hours straight. And then, you know, shame can arise like, oh my gosh, you're going to be a workaholic again. And it's just like, the more I accept, like this is kind of the way I do it. I go in spurts, the better I feel about it. And um, also another thing is I do try to go outside every single day as long as it's not raining. And that's so helpful for me in my work as well. And I have to thank my dogs for that because they have to go to the bathroom and I live in a condo. (laughs) So um, they remind me like, go outside and take a break. And because, um, I have such like strong nervous system awareness, cause we teach that so much in trauma of money. I'm very aware. Like if I'm getting in a state where I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm getting stressful, one of my favorite pat practices is to expand my vision and go into like panoramic visioning. And the best way to do that is to go outside and just like look around and look at the sky. And this kind of helps like reorient myself and pull myself out, out, out of the computer, out of the space. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I feel like I, I also feel like, um, acceptance has been a, a big, uh, part of my journey as well, just around understanding that, you know, when you're doing work, that's so aligned with your, 
passion and just with your gifts and like it just feels good and you're kind of mission oriented, you can find yourself, you know, in a little bit of a work hole for a little while. But obviously, but but that is a different energy than like, you know, um, just working to feel like, you know, you just have to get things done or you're, you're deriving some sort of self value from like checking off this endless to do list or whatever. And so just, yeah, accepting that there's going to be some seasons where we're working hard. I, you know, Ashanti is like literally outside farming right now. And like for farmers, they understand that like it's game time, like this time of year, like winter, we rest a little bit. And so just like also accepting that these things are going to come in cycles as well. I appreciate that. I love that. And that's seasonality is such an important teaching, I think, from especially farming or like working with land um, to bring into your relationship with money. And there's we have so much conditioning from like the industrial industrial revolution and and just like Henry Ford and the five day work week, like there's so much conditioning. So I think it's part of healing is also looking at your relationship with time as well. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons why I'm not a fan of monthly budgets. Um, And I think like doing budgeting and looking at it in a full year in advance is really helpful because it allows you to there's times where you need to ration and there's times where, you know, you have more abundance and what is it like to spread it out over a longer period of time? Because the monthly budgeting approach, I think, keeps you in a cycle of being reliant on a consistent paycheck. And yeah, so there's there's a lot of like deprogramming around that. Mm, yeah, I love that kind of zooming out and like, yeah, aligning with an even larger cycle of time than just that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So when it comes to the success of trauma of money, I know that it's grown a lot over the past few years. You have so much to be proud of there. And like, honestly, it's, you know, I'm sure that a lot of folks in this space have taken all types of trainings over the years, but like the community from trauma of money is just like so next level and so beautiful and so rich. And so I just wanted to ask Chantel from your perspective, what has been some of the best moves that have been made for the growth of trauma of money? What has, what's, yeah, what do you feel like has worked really well that you're proud of? Um, and maybe if you're comfortable acknowledging anything that uh, looking back, you know, maybe felt like something that you wouldn't do again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We teach an exercise in trauma money called reimagine capitalism. And I'll share it with you. You can do it yourself. Um, and I did this when I started trauma money and it really helps us build out the model that we have today. So on the, you drop, you take a piece of paper, you draw a line through the middle on the left-hand side, you write it down all the things that you dislike about capitalism. And on the right-hand side, you write down, like, how are you going to earn, save, spend, give um, in a way that reimagines capitalism that's in alignment with your values? And so I did this for my business. And one of the things that I obviously dislike about capitalism is exploitation and extraction of labor. And so... That included me as the business owner, making sure that like I get paid well as well too. I'm not like exploiting myself. Um, and then also, um, as we grew or as the business grew, I didn't want it to be like me at the top making like all this money and, and the other teachers are not benefiting in it because the other teachers make up such a big part of our curriculum. So I built out this model where we do profit sharing with our our teachers. Um, So as we grow, our teachers are making more money. And it was really incredible because um, some of the teachers that were with us in the first cohort, like we didn't make a lot of money in the first cohort. So I didn't take anything in that cohort. I just wanted to make sure that they get paid a little bit more and they were they were so just incredible and like understanding and supportive. But now like as we're going into like, we're coming into our ninth cohort in the fall, I get messages from our teachers saying like, wow, I can't believe you're paying this much. And this is amazing because you paid this much. I was able to raise my price over here. And, and that feels so incredible. And because we do that, it, 
it actually is a really um, good financial decision because guess what? I don't, my marketing budget is lower because they're my marketers, mm-hmm. right? So now I've all of a sudden got like, we've got like 17 faculty. That's a team of 17 marketers, right? Because they're all benefiting in the growth of the business, which is so amazing. Um So another thing that we did too, is we have a lot of scholarships and sliding scale um, options and we self-funded all of these. So we've had no external funding on them. We pay for them. um, And that felt really, really important to us. But, you know, and we could have made more money if we didn't do that. But again, like, folks come through our program, they have like a life-changing experience and then they tell someone else and then someone else signs up and buys. And there's like this reciprocity in it that's just so beautiful and it's just not rooted in scarcity and you can feel it. You can feel the abundance like with us being like, take a take a partial scholarship. And then they're like, I told 10 people about this and it's it's happening. Like it's the flow, the energy is flowing between us. And I think cause we've kind of approached it in that way, you can feel it in the community. And we even say things like on our scholarship sliding scale models, this is a reciprocity scholarship. This is reciprocity sliding scale. So, you know, if you feel right now that you're financially restrained, you do have a lot to exchange, like show up in a way in the community where you're coming from a place of giving. And you you just feel that and you feel that with everyone in the community. And um, another teaching of ours is if you feel yourself in a lot of scarcity in your in business, the first thing I say is collaborate with someone. Go collaborate because collaboration is the opposite of competition. You know, if you go to the American Association of Economics website and just read, how do they define economics? It's the management of scarcity. What what's one of the values of scarcity? Competition. Not enough. Let's compete. What if we did the exact opposite of that and acted in collaboration? And it's almost daily that I see our trauma of money alumni like getting together and you know hosting events. One of our teachers and alumni, she created a universal basic income wealth redistribution circle, and it's like filled with a bunch of trauma of money alumni and they're constantly doing mutual aid. So there's so this, this I think is why our community is so, so rich and supportive is because we challenge everyone in it, show up in this community in a way that reimagines capitalism. Mm. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. It's that's that's it. That is it. It's just so crazy how like it's also totally possible to build businesses and wealth in an entire economy that is, you know, built on reciprocity and pr- this proliferation of generosity. Right. Like that is also just com- as possible as the scarcity model that we're living right now. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, OK, couple little last ones, then I'm going to uh, open it up for a Q&A. But just because uh, so many of us are kind of recovering perfectionists or one way or in another, or it just literally has not been safe for folks to not to be less than perfect or to make mistakes. Right. And in business building, uh, which is a lot of folks who gravitate towards new money social club in one way or another, want to launch or build or grow their business um, in business building, we make mistakes. That's just like a part of it. Right. And so, yeah, I'm curious if there's any anything like even just like adult moment that you would feel comfortable sharing um, just to in the spirit of normalizing mistake making? Yeah. So um, one of the principles of the psychology of scarcity work is something called fault tolerance. And when someone is in scarcity or they believe that they're in scarcity and the brain does not know the difference between the two. So you can be like scrolling Instagram and being like, everyone's in Europe, but me, your brain is going to go into scarcity because you're comparing, right? And your brain can't tell the difference between that scarcity and like, 
more extreme scarcity. It's just like scarcity. And so in that state of scarcity, you're more likely to make mistakes because you have reduced access to cognitive capacity. You have reduced access to like organization and impulse control. And so because you're more likely to make mistakes, one of the interventions of scarcity is something called fault tolerance. And so we have a trauma of money six step method and step six on our method is called refinement. And this is normalizing fault. And this is making lessons um, or when things go wrong, something that becomes a learning tool for you to refine. Because things are going to go wrong in your business. You're going to make mistakes. I've made lots of mistakes. One of my mistakes is like, you know, being like, yeah, come in and work and be a partner and giving so, so much. And then the reciprocity is not present or like not having boundaries or contracts with people. Um, And, you know, kind of going into this, like, don't worry, like, I'll take care of it. And then I end up going into burnout. So a lot of my mistakes have, of course, are very connected to my own trauma response of people pleasing and being afraid to like advocate for what I think is right or the boundaries that I need to create. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so, yes, that I would say is probably the biggest mistake. Specific example. Um, It's... I don't know. It's hard to say because like we just normalize mistakes so much. I and I, yeah, I was trained in um, agile technology development, project management when I was doing cons- consulting for FinTech. And essentially what that is, is there's like two different ways that you can pro- um, approach building a business. There's the waterfall approach, which is where you do lots of research you, you know, raise money, you um, build out your prototype or idea, you spend all this time, all this investment, and then you get it perfect and you launch it. And it's like a waterfall because if something goes wrong to go back and fix it, it's very expensive. Um, versus the agile technology development approach. It's like you create your minimum viable product you launch it very quickly. It's not perfect. And then you just collect information and you build off of it. You refine it. And if I think if you have that type of mi- mindset when you're building your business, you don't see mistakes as something that you need to reprimand yourself for. You, you see mistakes as like, yes, feedback. This is amazing. How can I incorporate this? How can we recalibrate to create something even better? And we did that with trauma of money. Like when we first launched, we had an idea of what it would be, but every single cohort, we listen to what's happening and we bring in new teachers or we adjust things. Um, you know, oh, I'll tell you a, an example of a mistake I made. Um we have community agreements for our space. And the first time we wanted to introduce these community agreements, I, I put, put open a, this like mural board, which allowed all the students to decide what the community agreements would be. And so all the students are like, I want this, I want that, I want this. And then um, what I noticed in that cohort is every day I was getting emails of demands. Like, I don't like when people speak in chat. I don't want this. I don't want that. And it was exhausting. And I'm like, and I work with a mentor who's a psychologist who works with like groups and and trauma. And he's like, well, Chantel, you are talking about trauma of money, which is so triggering to people. You open the container by saying, what do you need? There's no container there. There's no like, control. And I'm like, oh yeah, like I need to establish those guidelines of like responsibility of the container. And so the next cohort, what we did is we created the agreements. And then we had this one form that said, how are you going to show up in the space? The difference? Wow. Incredible. 
So that's one, one example of a mistake that we made, but it was a great learning opportunity. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I'm so grateful for your story sharing there and just, um, yeah, that kind of agile approach and starting with the MVP and getting that feedback and refining publicly live, right? Um, and you know, I never made the connection before around like the shame that might pop up um, on the business building journey and like the shame that holds us back around money. And like, you know, when I, I think so many folks who are older than 30, it's when we start to be like, oh, oh, that whole retirement thing is like a thing that I like should have been, I should have been doing this. I should have been doing this. And there's people that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond who never did the thing and still carry so much shame around it. And, um, yeah, uh, just honoring that, like, that is such a huge driver of our actions <laughs> and inactions. Um, okay, cool, cool, cool. I want to end on a fun one. Um, so you got to take the trauma of money course to fully understand the concept of eudaimonia. But I really loved this teaching around, you know, the invitation to reimagine our relationship with money and reimagine capitalism. And like a part of that being definitely, you know, um, and kind of detoxing from consumerism, a part of that definitely being finding value and meaning in non-material things, right? Like we know that, right? Um, and additionally, I think there's an opportunity to sort of restore some degree of pleasure around spending money on things that mean something to us, on things that bring us joy or pleasure, right? And so just wanted to ask you, Chantel, um, if you have any words around that and what are some of your favorite things to spend money on? <laughs> I love this question. So we teach about dopamine in our class and how consumerism basically like uses dopamine um, to get us to continuously do things. So we talk a lot about like reclaiming pleasure, reclaiming your dopamine and, um, and just like normalizing that it is okay to spend money on things that bring you pleasure. It is okay to do things that bring you pleasure. If, if you've made that decision yourself. Um, and so your question was like, what do I spend that brings me pleasure? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, matcha lattes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, matcha lattes uh, definitely bring me lots of pleasure. Um, also, like I love to, um, you know, I'm taking the affinity group leaders of Trauma of Money. We're going on to a cabin and like having a little nourishment retreat and like, I love spending money in that way, like to like be with friends or like people I work with to like be in joy and abundance and rest. Mm -hmm. um, that brings me like a lot of dopamine that I feel like I definitely I'm fully aware that I'm doing it and it doesn't feel like any, you know, any manipulative like source is guiding it. So yeah, there's something really uh, ancient and incredible and beautiful about resources, you know, about feeling like you have a lot to share. And um, yeah, that's super transformational. So, okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chantel. 